Amen. You guys may be seated. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 5. The book of Romans chapter 5. And we're going to look specifically at verses uh, 6 through 19. Verses 6 through 19. And uh, as I reminded us at the beginning of the service, we're in the middle of looking at foundational doctrines of our Christian faith, really, and we're looking primarily to the Scripture to see where these doctrines are, and we're helped by our statement of faith, by our confession that uh, really summarizes and kind of systematizes, if you will, uh, these doctrines of the faith. And so my prayer is, uh, is that we would be stretched all of us together um, because it's when we're stretched we're put into a place where we are uh, more dependent upon the Lord and we grow in grace and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ and that's good for us while it can often be painful for us it's good for us and so this morning we're going to look at the fall of man and I promise it won't be without hope because if we look at the fall of man without gospel hope uh, we should all despair right Um, But we, by God's grace, thankfully, can look at this through the lens of Christ's finished work. And so um, we're going to look at um, what could be considered bad news, but my prayer is that we'll see this all as good news by the conclusion of the service this morning. And so Romans chapter 5, and we're going to start with verse 6. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of... Of the Holy Spirit of God, he wrote these words. It says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness 
reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you again for your word. God, we thank you that we can have confidence in it, Lord. We thank you that it's living and active, Lord. We ask that you would use it according to your will. And God, we pray that you would build your church as your word goes out. So help us by your Holy Spirit to see your word, to understand your word, and God, to apply it to our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I have really uh, what's two points, and I'll, I'll give both of the points uh, to you right up front. But it's, it's this, that Adam was our federal head, and I'll unpack that, and it's that Jesus Christ is, is our federal head. Adam was our federal head, Jesus Christ is our federal head. And we kind of see in this passage a, really a compare and contrast between the actions of one man, which was the first man, which is Adam, and we see uh, how the actions of the one man who is the last Adam or the second Adam, who's Jesus Christ, redeemed the actions of the first Adam. That's what we're going to see. And so this morning, what we're going to do is kind of, I'm going to work a little bit out of order from the passage that I started with, which is verse 6, and start more in verse 12, and then work to the actions of the second Adam or the last Adam, Christ. But what we're going to look at first is that Adam was our federal head. So for those of us that are in Christ, for those of us who have, uh, we've seen our sin according to the Scriptures, we've confessed our sins to God according to the Scriptures, and we uh, see our need for Christ, we put our faith in Christ, Adam, the first Adam, was our representative. If you're in here this morning and you're not a believer, you're not walking in the light, you're, you, you have made it the habit of your life to walk in darkness, Adam still represents you. And what flows from that is that you commit actual sins on a daily basis. Those of us that are in Christ still commit actual sins on a daily basis, but we've been redeemed by the second Adam. So Adam was our federal head Jesus is now our federal head for those of us in Christ. And what that means is that for Adam, the first Adam, he was our representative. He stood in our place representing mankind. That's the, the, the way that the Lord ordained it to be. And we know the story. I spoke of it some last week, but it's worth reading the account for us here. You can flip over the first book in the Bible, Genesis Chapter 3, I'm going to read just some selections of it for us, just to give us that account of the fall of man. Again, if you've been in church life for any length of time, you're familiar with this, but don't check out just because you're familiar with this, because there's so much here for us, right? Because if we get this wrong, we get Genesis wrong, you end up getting everything wrong. Let's start with chapter 3, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Right? There's casting doubt again on God's word, on God's goodness. Let's create a suspicion uh, in both Adam and Eve as it related to God 
and his revealed will. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. And she added to God's word, right, very legalistically, Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. All right, so Paul's just for a moment right there. Her husband was uh, uh, either cheering her on, sinfully cheering her on, right, as the serpent deceived them, right, or at best, he was a coward, right? He was a coward, and, he, and, and I said this last week, he should have crushed the head of the serpent, right? The first Adam should have crushed the head of the serpent, but that's not what we see here. So Eve gave some uh, to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then, right, upon the disobedience of Adam, who's the one who represented all mankind, then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, right? They tried to cover themselves, right? And made themselves loincloths. Now skip down to verse 14 with me. Because this, this is what, these are the kind of the consequences that ensue from here. Right? Then the Lord God said to the serpent, right, the serpent being the devil, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall lead all the days of your life. Then verse 15 here, which is the first preaching of the gospel that we've got. God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, right? Between the serpent and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. The offspring of Eve, which we know is ultimately Christ Jesus. Here's the gospel part. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel, right? So the first Adam, this is what he should have done. He should have stomped the head of the serpent. But Christ Jesus, the second Adam, the last Adam, is the one who would come and definitively do that. Okay, so the gospel right there, verse 15, preached at the fall. And then verse 16, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, right? The relationship now is fractured. He shall rule over you. And to Adam, God said this, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you were dust, and to dust you shall return. And this, this is the account of the fall of man and the result of Adam's disobedience. And in it, we see God, again, graciously preach the gospel in verse 15 there as it relates to, to Eve's offspring, ultimately the second Adam, ultimately Christ Jesus, and Satan the serpent. But we also see some consequences that flowed from the fall, such as increasing pain in childbirth. We see con uh, conflict between husband and wife. We see thorns and thistles in work. We see 
physical death. We see spiritual death. And these weren't just consequences that Adam and Eve uh, were to experience. This was a launching, if you will, into the abyss for the entirety of the human race. Adam, the first Adam, was the representative of all of us. In 1689, our statement of faith says it this way, they, speaking of Adam and Eve, being the root and by God's appointment, standing in the room instead of all mankind, the guilt of the sin was imputed, was cast on, was transferred, and the corrupted nature was conveyed to all their posterity, to all the children, everyone that flows from that, descending from them by ordinary generation, being now conceived in sin, right? We see David in Psalm uh, uh, 51.5 even say, in sin did my mother conceive me, being now conceived in sin, and by nature children of wrath, right? It's Ephesians, the servants of sin, the subjects of death, and all other miseries, spiritual, temporal, and eternal unless, unless this, the Lord Jesus sets them free, right? Unless the Lord Jesus sets them free. And we see this inheritance all throughout Scripture, but we also experience this sort of inheritance on a daily basis, right? We see husbands and wives in conflict. We see head and helper degraded by our culture, right? Headship and submission have become really ugly words. We may flinch at even the mention of headship and and, and and submission. In fact, we're, we're naturally averse to everything that is beautiful like that because our unrighteousness suppresses what's true, right? Romans 1, and thus what is beautiful. You see, the difficulty of work in this life. Work was created by God. Work was good, right? But fruitless work or busybodiness or the despising of our work is a result of the fall. The breaking down of our bodies is a result of the first Adam's sin. We're physically decaying. We experience various sufferings, perhaps not at the fault of our own actual sins, but as a result of what we've inherited from Adam, the first man. Death came. The breaking down of our bodies came. Right? Physical death. Right? If the Lord tarries, we'll all get a funeral, won't we? And then spiritual death, which is the worst of all, spiritual death. Right? It's the way in which we're born. It's the wage that our sin earns, death, which we'll see. Not just physical death, but again, the, the unending wrath of God for all eternity. If we're not in Christ. So because of sin, because of the sin of Adam, the state of man apart from the Lord, apart from the intervening work of the Lord is sufficiently and inescapably corrupt. Our, our very person is tainted by sin. And we're born sinners. David, again, says that, Psalm 51, 5. Look back in me with me in Romans 5 because Paul's aim is really is to give us good news. Right? Us, us reflecting on the fall, us reflecting on our own sinful state, again, it's not meant to lead us to despair. 
It's not meant to lead us to despair. If we're despairing, it's because we're not tethered to Christ. Right? If we're despairing, it's because we're not tethered to Christ. There's a, uh, this Latin phrase, Felix culpa, that, that came out of the Catholic tradition, and it meant happy or lucky fall. Happy or lucky fall. It, it was a positive way to think about the fall of man, to think about original sin, to think about what we've inherited, to think about our own actual sins. And the expression went this way, happy or a lucky fall that earned for us so great, so glorious a Redeemer. Happy or lucky fall that earned for us so great, so glorious a Redeemer. St. Augustine said, God judged it better to bring good out of evil than not to permit any evil to exist. God judged it good, better, to bring good out of evil than to not permit any evil to exist. And that's essentially how we see Paul communicating to the Roman church regarding the fall. The first Adam gave way to the last Adam. Paul is comparing and contrasting what we inherited from the first Adam versus what we inherited from Christ, what we inherited from the last Adam, the second Adam. We aren't meant only to think of the actions of the first Adam, but, but let's look for a moment at the actions of the first Adam alone, just starting with verse 12. Look back with me. Romans 5 here. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sin, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin's not counted where there is no law. And then the first part of verse 14 says, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. And then jump down to verse 16, just the second part. I'm going to kind of just give us the results of Adam's disobedience. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. In the first part of 17, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned. You see the first part of verse 18. One trespass led to condemnation for all men. The first part of 19, one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. And we see in these verses that both death and, and sin, as a result of, of Adam's actions, they're personified. You see them personified in the text. But we especially see uh, death personified in our text. Death according to the, the Apostle Paul. And look at the scripture with me. But death according to the Apostle Paul, it came. Death came. Where did it come to? Like, it came. Came to where? Came to the cosmos. It came to the cosmos. It arrived through the, the disobedience of the one man, the first Adam, our representative. Death, it spread. And the Apostle Paul says it spread. In other words, it, it, it got into all the nooks and crannies. Right? Just think of all the things that people have, have done over the last year to try to prevent the spread of COVID-19, or to, pre- to try to pre- prevent themselves from getting COVID-19. Death spread, according to the Apostle Paul, and there was no stopping getting infected by it. Highly contagious. 100% mortality rate, right? 
death reigned. Right? So it came, it spread, and it reigned. Reigned is a significant word. It's used just six times in, in just this chapter. Adam introduced something to us all that conquered us. It conquered us. Death, which is an enemy, right? Looking back at 1 Corinthians 15, we just finished that series. But death, which is an enemy, it rules over us by nature. Death rules over us by nature. We are its subjects. And no matter how advanced we become technologically speaking, death will not be overcome by us. Death will not be overcome by us. So through Adam, death came. Through Adam, death spread. Through Adam, death reigned. And this word death here in our text, it means physical death followed by a wretchedness of the lower world. A wretchedness of the lower world. This lower world meaning an eternal hell. An eternal hell, a place where the wrath of God is poured out on those not covered in the righteousness of Christ Jesus. Death is ultimately, as, as one commentator put it, this misery of the soul arising from sin which begins on earth but lasts and increases after the death of the body. Right? Death is ultimately the misery of the soul arising from sin, right? People who are enslaved to their sin, who haven't been freed by Christ, they're miserable. They're miserable. But death is the misery of a soul arising from sin, which begins on earth and lasts and increases after the death of this body. So misery increases. Misery of the soul increases through death that's a wage that was earned Initially by the first Adam, and all of us committing our sins on a daily basis, add to, say amen to, that disobedience in the garden. And this is the condition of every single one of us. This is our condition. Nobody is off limits. And Paul says in verse 12, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, death spread to all men because all sinned. Because all sinned. Paul says also in Ephesians 2, 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Right? He's, he's reflecting with the Ephesians on what they were apart from the, uh, the work of Christ Jesus. Right? We once lived in the passions of our flesh. There's the miserable part. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Miserable part. And were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Right? Since the fall of Adam, by default, we're children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We aren't neutral. We aren't born with two competing wills, one good and one bad. We're thoroughly corrupt, according to the Scripture. And I read this passage to you last week, but it gets to the thorough nature of sin. It speaks to uh, how we may not be as corrupt as we can be, right? But... We are pervasively corrupt. Romans chapter 3, just a couple of chapters earlier, starting with the second part of verse 10, working down to verse 18. Paul says, None is righteous, no, not one. Right? And he's quoting the Old Testament here. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That's wildly depressing, right? 
you think you're doing okay, and then you come and you read uh, a few lines of Paul here, and you're like, oh, I'm not doing so great, right? And, and, and this is how the Apostle Paul, this is how he was preaching the gospel. He's using the settled canon of Scripture at the time, which was the Old Testament, and he's using that so that he can preach the gospel to the Roman church, right? We can't have, the, we can't have that Christ died and that he rose again without seeing the necessity of that. This is included here in the good news, right? What we would consider here bad. And then Paul goes on, if, if that didn't humble us enough, and he says, wait, there's more to the Old Testament here. Verse 13, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps, is, uh, of vipers, is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. And there's no fear of God before their eyes. Do you, do you hear the, the progression of the text there? Throat, it's an open grave. Right? Tongues deceive. The viper venom is under the lips. The whole mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Our feet swift to shed blood. Our walking is in the path of ruin and misery. Our knowledge, no knowledge of peace. As it relates to God, we don't fear Him. There's no fear of God in our eyes. That is an inside-out, thorough corruption. That is the state of man, every man, since the fall of Adam by default. That's what we inherited. And that's why we commit actual sins on a daily basis. And, and just on reflecting on all of this, we should see that we're not remotely qualified, right? We're not remotely qualified to save ourselves. We're not remotely qualified to save anybody else. Thank God that my salvation doesn't depend on me and that your salvation doesn't depend on me articulating the gospel to you, right? Or getting it all just right. Thank God that it's outside of me because I'm thoroughly corrupt and by God's grace, I can be obedient to do what he's called me to do. And I can trust that he alone, this good, incorruptible God, is going to be the one that turns hearts toward him. All right? We can't find salvation through our own righteousness, which means we can't be saved through knowing the law of God. We can't be saved through keeping the law of God. Paul says this in the first few verses of Romans 4. Look back with me to chapter 4. What, sh what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Right? We know what we've earned, right? 
Our sin has earned us death. We see that elsewhere in Romans. Verse 5, And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed, in Psalm 32, we've read it here many times, blessed or happy, some translations say happy, are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. Happy are those whose sins are forgiven. Right? whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Abraham was justified by faith the same way that we are. And this is a gift from God. And Paul says that for us all through Romans. The Bible speaks of this. Again, sweeping testimony of Scripture. But look back in our specific text, Romans 5, just verses 13 and 14, because he kind of gets at it here from a different angle, if you will. It says, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. Sin has been around and has been enslaving the world since the fall of Adam. But Paul says here, sin's not counted where, it, where there is no law. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that there was no sin and that there was no consequence for sin. We, a quick reading of the Old Testament shows us that, right? Old Testament, we see things like Cain's murder of Abel. We see God's judgment in the flood. We see God's judgment in Sodom and Gomorrah, right? We, we see sin and some of the consequences of sin before Moses uh, and what I think it's referring to, uh, before Moses summarized the Ten Commandments, for, before he summarized God's law and the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai, what Paul is speaking to is transgression. Transgression. Right? Sin, sin becomes transgression when we see that we've crossed the line of God's law. Here's God's revealed will, which is what we saw Adam do. Right? God told Adam and Eve, don't eat of the fruit, the tree of the knowledge of good and uh, good and evil. That was a revealed law. Adam transgressed that. He went past that. He, he, broke, he broke God's revealed will there. And when Moses summarized the Ten Commandments at Sinai, what happened is our sins became transgressions. We now knowingly transgress against God and His ordering of things. But notice that Paul doesn't say anything about how the law being summarized at Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments. He doesn't say anything about how that would save us if only we would keep it. Paul doesn't say that here. Right? Knowledge of the revealed will of God doesn't save us. It only shows us our transgression. It only shows us our transgression, conquering death through man's strivings to obey or not transgress positive law is impossible. It's impossible. Paul says earlier, Romans 3 verse 20, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Simply put, what, what Paul's getting at is that our efforts or our strivings is not sufficient to save us even when we see that they are clear transgressions against God's law. Right? The law of God increases our knowledge of sin, but it doesn't have the ability to make a sinner righteous because a sinner is in a condition that uh, he himself cannot modify or remedy. We're thoroughly Corrupt, that's the result of the first Adam. That's the result of the fall. But again, we're not, 
without Christ. As the expression goes, that Latin phrase, the fall earned for us such a great, such a glorious redeemer. Because Jesus is our federal head. He is our federal head. Jesus is who Paul presents as the, the other one man. He's the one man. or he's, He was, as Paul says, the type of the uh, Adam. The first Adam was a type of the one who was to come, right? That's the second Adam. That's Jesus. And if we put our faith in him, if we turn away from our sin in repentance, we inherit what Christ alone earned, Jesus came and he redeemed, gloriously redeemed the actions of the first Adam. And as we saw in our series on Roman, uh, on 1 Corinthians 15, he will ultimately and, and finally undo all the actions of the first Adam when he definitively puts an end to death through our own resurrection. But look with me how Paul contrasts the first Adam and the last Adam here. Verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scare... And this is kind of the entry point, again, into the actual compare and contrast. But this is the setup. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we're reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've now received reconciliation. In God's appointed timing, verse 6 there, Christ died for who? Christ died for who? Not the righteous. Right? Not those that think they can save themselves. Right? Christ didn't die for those self-made, pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps type people that think they have everything under control. Christ died for the ungodly, which means the wicked and the sinful. And in that, we see the glorious goodness of God, don't we? Right? Jesus didn't die for us because we were good and faithful or because he saw that we would be good or faithful. Jesus demonstrated the love of God by dying to redeem, according to this passage, his enemies. He died for his enemies. Paul even says, you know, maybe somebody will die for a good person. Jesus died for God's enemies. Jesus demonstrated the love of God by dying for God's enemies. And what's our response to such a glorious salvation? According to Paul, verse 11, our response is to rejoice. It's to rejoice. And we do so not because we're waiting on reconciliation. We do so because the death and life of Christ has provided reconciliation for us now, both to God and to one another. We we worship together as reconciled people. We don't have to labor for reconciliation. We are. If we're living in light and mindful of this glorious gospel that God's provided for us, we are a reconciled people. And then starting with verse 15 and moving to verse 19, we see the superiority of the last Adam. And that's what Paul's getting us to do here. How much better is the second Adam, the last Adam, than the first Adam? 
Verse 15, I'll just summarize it. Verse 15, if the many died through the actions of the first Adam, much more, much more have the grace of God in the last Adam. Verse 16, judgment followed the one trespass of the first Adam, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Verse 17, through one man's trespass, death reigned. Right, we see that word again. But get this, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life. Reign in life through Christ. 18, one trespass led to condemnation. One act of righteousness leads to justification. Verse 19, one man's disobedience made sinners. One man's disobedience made saints. Made, made righteous. This is the good news for great sinners like me and great sinners like you. The grace and mercy of God is more powerful than your sin because the last Adam is so much greater than the first Adam. That's good news. The grace and mercy of God is more powerful than your sin because the last Adam is so much greater than the first Adam. Nothing and no one can grant us the forgiveness of our sins. Nothing and no one can redeem the disobedience of the first Adam except our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this death that that once reigned over us is conquered in the resurrected life of Christ. And those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness will reign in life, according to verse 17. Instead of having death reign over them, they will reign in life in Christ Jesus. Death, as we have seen, is an enemy. But it's an enemy, as we've also seen in 1 Corinthians 15, it's an enemy that has been conquered. It's an enemy that is presently being conquered. And it's an enemy that will definitively be conquered when God in Christ returns and when he fulfills finally the great commission through us and he makes his enemies his footstool and thus makes the heavens and the earth new. So this morning, be encouraged. Don't despair. The last Adam is better than the first Adam. A few takeaways for us this morning. And don't, again, you can look at our worship guide because they're posted in the worship guide. As we meditate on the fall of man and on our sinful condition, we should always do so rejoicing in God for our great Redeemer. As we meditate on the fall of man and on our sinful condition, we should always do so rejoicing in God for our great Redeemer. Uh, Robert Murray McShane, one pastor, he just talked about how when, we, when we're thinking about our sin or when we're resolving to overcome sin, for every one sin we think of, we should think about Christ ten times. All right? It's a good balance for us to prevent us from despairing. So as we meditate on the fall of man and on our sinful condition, we should always do so rejoicing in God for our great Redeemer. Secondly, when we doubt the love of God, We should remind ourselves that he demonstrated his love for us by sending Christ to die for us when we were his enemies. When we doubt the love of God, we look to the life, death, and resurrection of Christ Jesus. That's the ultimate reminder that God loves us. And then three, when we proclaim the gospel, we must always be clear that Jesus died and resurrected to grant sinners forgiveness of sins and reconciliation to God. In other words, gospel proclamation 
includes biblical clarity on man's sinful and helpless state. And when we proclaim the gospel, we must always be clear that Jesus died and resurrected to grant sinners forgiveness of sins and reconciliation to God. In other words, gospel proclamation includes biblical clarity on man's sinful and helpless state. We go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we thank you again for your word and our time to be able to look through it, God. And I pray that you would encourage us, God. Lord, on reflecting our state apart from you working in our lives, God, is one that could paralyze us and grip us in fear, God, because we're to give an account to you. Lord, you hold all men responsible. Romans chapter 1. And Lord, in that, we declare our only hope in this life and in next is to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ Jesus, whom your word tells us took our sins upon himself. And Lord, suffered the punishment that we deserved but could have never endured, Lord, which was your wrath on Christ for our sin. And God, we know that you have justified us because you brought Christ by your Spirit back from death to life. And we have hope that because of that, we too will bodily and eternally rise and be with you in the new heavens and the new earth. Lord, we have hope. So thank you for this morning, and we love you in Christ's name. Amen.